We're going to take a break this uh, today from our Unimpressed series because it's Father's Day, and so I want to talk about uh, the important role fathers can play in helping uh, shape their kid's identity, rooting a child's identity not in what the world says, not in what they think about themselves, but in what God says about them. Little clipboards are being passed around. Let us know that you're here. If your name's not on the clipboard, just fill out a Connect card, and then in the future weeks, your name will be on the clipboard. And we're not trying to police attendance. We're not trying to play Big Brother. We want to be good shepherds of the church. And without a system, it's it's difficult to always know when somebody has gone missing. But uh, if you don't sort of let us know that you're here for three weeks in a row, we will check in and see if there's any way that the church can support you. So, Father's Day. I'm going to spend this afternoon, Lord willing, with my daughters catching reds on the Russian River. So I have this great day ahead of me. I had a wonderful time with my father this past week. He treated my brother Luke and me, his favorite, uh, the favorite two out of his four, uh, to a rain- rainbow trip on the Naknek River. And so we were catching rainbows. And one of the days we got to fish the Brooks River. That's the famous Brooks Camp where you watch the bears uh, grab the salmon at the Brooks Falls. The bears weren't there yet because the salmon aren't there, but the rainbows were in. Crystal clear river, very low this year. And so we had to use a, a fine line, 3X fluorocarbon line, super thin. Uh, that way you could fool the the rainbows into thinking the fly was was legit. Now, my dad was quite distressed when he arrived at Brooks Camp and discovered his high-end sage reel uh, he'd left back at camp. I thought he was overreacting. Like, Dad, a reel's a reel. I've got a loner. Use mine. Uh, he was Eeyore for, for a few hours. <laughs> he didn't think my reel was sufficient. And he probably was right, because I learned something on that trip. Uh, I lost three rainbows to snap lines. Uh, so I'd hook into them, they'd jump in the air, line snap. End of the day, I'm complaining to the guide. Man, I lost three big rainbows to snap lines. I wonder if there's anything I could do differently. And the, the guide said, you know, you could get a better reel. <laughs> I said, what would that do? And he said, well, these higher-end reels, they have a much smoother introductory drag. And so the fish hits and the line comes out nice and smoothly. These cheapo reels that you're using, uh, they sort of, they tug, right? And so the, you have thin line, the fish uh, jumps in the air, tugs, and too much tension, snap. Ah, now that was news to my dad too. He didn't understand why he liked his high-end reel. He just knew it worked for him. <laughs> and so he was right. And I thought that is much like the word of God. You don't have to understand why it's good for you in order to be blessed by it. Uh, As we pattern our lives according to the teachings of Jesus, we are blessed even when we don't understand. Trust and obey, and you will benefit from God's great wisdom. Struck me this week as I'm preparing this message on identity, and I came to see in in a new way, a deeper way, Uh, why we are blessed rooting our identity in what God says about us rather than what the world says about us or what we even think about ourselves, I see it in a new way, appreciate it in a greater 
way. But you know, ever since I've been a kid, I've been rooting my identity in what God says about me, because that's what my father taught me to do. And I've been benefiting from that. And that's the way it is with the Word of God. You don't have to understand it to, be, to benefit from it. You just obey. And usually understanding comes over time. So today we are going to be uh, looking at identity formation. How do we form our identities? And I'm go- we're going to look at three ways people form their identity. I'm going to be recommending the third way, which is uh, looking up and rooting your identity in what God says about you. I want to start, though, with 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, because Paul, the apostle, here talks about the three different ways people form their identity, and he recommends the, this uh, looking to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, uh, Paul writes, But with me... It's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. So the first way people form their identity is by looking out, asking, who do others say I am? And Paul says, yeah, it's a small thing to be. What other people say about me, who cares? And then here's the second way. In fact, I don't even judge myself. The second way is to look in and say, who do I say I am? And Paul says, That doesn't even important to me because he says, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. My self-perception could be inaccurate. So here's the final way, the true way. It is the Lord who judges me, looking up and asking, who does God say I am? And uh, that's of these three ways to form your identity. The Christian way is to ask, Who does God say I am and root your identity in that? There are very few questions that are more significant than the question of who am I? Your answer to that question influences the choices you make. It influences what you do. It influences your sense of well-being. Two quick stories to underline this. Brian Stevenson, he gave a TED Talk recently in which he was uh, praising his grandmother and uh, spiking her, the role she played in helping him form his identity. He said, my grandmother told me repeatedly as a kid, Brian, you're special. You You are designed to do great things, Brian. And because of that, I need you to do some things. Number one, I need you to always make the right choice even when it's hard. And secondly... People who do great things are sober people, so no drugs and alcohol. Will you promise me that? She said, I got this all the time as a kid. Brian, you're special. You're created to do great things. So you need to stay sober, and you need to make the right choice even when it's the hard choice. Will you commit to that? And so as a kid, he's like, yeah, Grandma, I will. And he said that, his, the words of his grandma shaped his identity, and it influenced what he chose to do in life. He became an attorney. He dedicated himself to um, representing death row inmates and fighting against mass incarceration. He has argued in front of the Supreme Court many times. In fact, the last time he was there, one of the justices quipped, you again? (laughs) And he said, it's the words of my grandmother, the identity she gave me, that keep me going even when I'm exhausted, even when I lose. 
Now, negative example. Been circulating in the news recently, this uh, Dutch teenager named Noah Patoven, and she, at age 17, stopped eating and drinking and died in a Dutch hospital. She wrote a book when she was 16 titled Winning or Learning, and it was a, an award-winning book in, in which she described how she had been repeatedly abused as a child and how that triggered PTSD, eating disorders, depression. And in the book, she said, I have no reason to continue living. And at 16, she went to The Hague and asked permission to be euthanized. And The Hague said no. And so she took matters into her own hands, stopped eating and drinking. And then, apparently, in a Dutch hospital, they just let her do this. And uh, surrounded by her family, she, she died. What was her identity? Because it, it flowed out of her identity. She had concluded, I am damaged beyond repair. I'm a victim. And I have no, no future no good future in front of me. And once, she, once that became her core identity, why continue living? So the answer to this question, who am I? And our identity is, is absolutely critical to uh, our well-being in life. And any help we can get, forming a healthy identity uh, should be highly valued. And so we're going to look at how people form identity and God's way for forming identity and the roles that uh, fathers in particular can play in helping children form healthy identities. So first way is you look out and you ask the question, who do others say that I am? And so when you're forming your identity this way, you move out into the world and you find your place. Who am I in relation to other people? And so it tends to be, you tend to identify in, according to a role. Like, I'm, I'm a father. I am an employee. I'm an employer. I'm an excellent student. I'm a doctor. I'm an athlete. I'm the best in my class. Uh, you find your role, you play your role, and, and that forms your identity. Who you are is the role you play in society. And there are some positives. You can, this, there are some positives to this method for forming your identity. Number one, it's pretty straightforward, right? Who am I? I, I am the role that I play. It's, uh, secondly, it tends to be affirmed uh, by society. As you play your role well, there's a positive feedback loop. People relate to you that way. They applaud you as you, as you play your role well. Uh, thirdly, it tends to promote self-sacrifice. Uh, in societies where identity is shaped largely by looking out, the noble person is the one who does his duty. And so you stay in the marriage even if you're not happy because you committed to being in the marriage. Uh, you are, remain a faithful parent even when it costs you uh, uh, financially and costs you heartache. Uh, you, if you're a warrior, you give your life up for your country, you do your duty. And it also has the benefit of uh, creating pretty stable societies. People find their place, and they do their duty, and everybody has a, a role to play, and society is pretty stable. 
So it's got some positives, but it also has some negatives. And uh, first off, it's very rigid. Uh, um, once, you have, once you're in your role, uh, you're sort of stuck there. And a lot of people around the world don't, they just sort of get uh, carried along and put in their role. They don't necessarily have the choice. So, for example, if you're in India, uh, you might very well not have the economic opportunity. You can't just say, I want to you know, be anything and everything and go for it because you might be held back by the fact that you're in a particular caste or your family doesn't have money. You might think, I want to be a doctor, but to be a doctor requires a lot of education and you don't have opportunity for education. And your family says, we're cobblers. That's what we've always been. That's who you are. And so you're stuck playing the role that is sort of given to you. So it can be rigid. Uh, and so you might not get to choose what role you play. It's sort of uh, forced on you. Secondly, it, this is um, societies in which people's identity are largely formed by looking out. It, it can be exploited. The rich and the powerful can uh, keep you in your place. Go back to India. or. uh four major castes, and when you, you get born into that caste, and society fights you trying to move. If you're born a Dalit, the lowest caste, then you're meant to stay there and marry in that caste and play the, um, the economic role that nobody else wants to play, okay? So that's looking out. Second way people form an identity is by looking in, and this is definitely most popular uh, here in America, and the question there is, who do I say I am? And the idea is that uh, inside everyone is this unique person that must be discovered. You find yourself, and uh, there's this you that's some combination of your passions and your gifting and your values and your experiences. Um, and you look within, and you unpack the real you, and then it's very important that you uh, live in harmony with who you really are. Uh, and often finding yourself means that you leave every, everyone and everything you know and go off and, uh, to new experiences so that you can get in touch with the real you. Now, there are some benefits to this. Uh, first off, it acknowledges everyone's uniqueness, and no one is created the same. Uh, and that seems biblical. We're creating the image of God, many-faceted. Uh, so it acknowledges the uniqueness of people. Secondly, it supports freedom of expression and social mobility. And so here in the U.S., uh, we value people's ability to you know, pursue happiness, however they uh, define it. And we want people to feel free to... Uh, go do and be what they want to do and be. And also, we don't try to hold people uh, into any rigid place. Uh, and there's lots of economic mobility. If you're willing to work hard, uh, you should be able to follow your dreams. And so there's this looking in has uh, definitely has some positives, but there are also some negatives. First off, which of my conflicting desires is the real me? <laughs> uh, the fact of the matter is, 
We have lots of passions, lots of desires, lots of abilities, lots of things that we value. And how do you pick and choose which one you're going to say is you know, my real identity and then live out of? I remember my mom said when I was a kid, she would say, isn't it so frustrating? There are so many things that you want to do and could do, but you can't do them all. Uh, that's true, right? You want to be a great musician, but you think, my goodness, that's going to take so much ded- dedication. Uh, you want to be uh, an athlete, and, but you're like, my goodness, to be excellent at that would just take so much of my attention. But I want to be a doctor, or I want to be a great dad, and that's going to take... So you have these conflicting desires and values, and how do you arrange... You know, how do you choose which one is the real you, and a lot of people as they get older, feel like they made a mistake, right? I wish I had chosen differently. Uh, A second negative is that um, it tends to promote selfishness. This this value of, hey, you uh, you must live in harmony with the real you, and uh, you need to express who you really are. And so, yeah, I got married 20 years ago, and back then I thought I wanted to be your husband, but that's not the real me today, because I don't want to be uh, married, and so, or at least to you, and so I need to move on and be true to myself, right? Uh, this job is not, you know, fulfilling to me. So it tends to uh, promote selfishness, and as a result, uh, less stable society. And thirdly, it's performance-based. If you're, you're going to need to perform in order to affirm the identity that you claim that you have, right? If you say, you know, I, I am designed to be a doctor, you better, you know, do well on the MCATs and get into med school, <laughs> right? Uh, I am a great athlete, and then you get beaten, so you get your, or, or it's a, you know, I am a, a, biz, a successful business owner, and then your business fails. And so the, the problem is performance-based identities are very prone to setting people up for crushing defeat when they fail to perform. Or just with life change, Right? If your identity is I'm beautiful or I'm strong or I have a particular career, well, at some point, you're not beautiful anymore. At some point, you're not strong anymore. At some point, you can't hold that job down anymore. And, and so your identity uh, bec- becomes uh, rocked and undermined. So we've looked about forming your, uh, your identity by looking out, what, who do others say I am, by looking in, who do I say I am. And, but there's a third way, and this is the biblical uh, way of forming your identity, and that's by looking up, and you're asking, who does God say I am? Soren Kierkegaard, the famous German theologian, said, your true self is yourself before God. Profound, absolutely true. The real you is who you are in relationship to your creator. That's the real you. And, and that's 
the real you because that's the you that lasts forever. And so who, who am I in all circumstances? What is, what is true about me when I'm young and when I'm old? What's true about me when I'm healthy and when I'm sick? What's true about me when I'm uh, a, a parent or not a parent, when I'm married or unmarried? What's true about me both today and 2,000 years from now? The only, th the only thing that's true is who am I in relation to God? Thus, your true self is yourself before God. And so if you define your identity based on your performance, based on how you relate to other people, uh, that's not the real you. The real you is who are you before God. And the good news is God does not leave that ambiguous. In his word, he tells us very clearly who we are in relationship to him. And so we can always know our identity and live in light of it. So, let's look really briefly at what Scripture says about us. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Uh, God says that something that's true of all people on the planet, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, and he says this, You are created in my image, if you're a human. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Uh, my college roommate died uh, in his early 20s. He took his own life, and as far as I know, he did not know Jesus. So what am I going to say to comfort the family? Well, I didn't want to lie to them and give them any uh, false hope and claim that he's in heaven when I had no evidence of that. So I drilled, I, I focused on the fact that he's created in the image of God. And I said, that's what I know about my dear friend, Ben. And that's what I saw reflected in, in him day in and day out. And I was blessed. So all people are created in the image of God. And that's why we have inestimable value. And that's why Christians uh, affirm the right to life, whether you're unborn or no matter what your you know, physical status, and why we say that it, uh, interrupting, you know, taking life intentionally is always off limits because people are creating the image of God and have value. Now, the Bible says, uh, there's a lot more the Bible says about your identity if you are a Christian. Not only are you created in the image of God, but you have a special relationship with God, your heavenly Father. Here's how the Apostle Paul puts it in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as you, of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So he's not talking to all humans, he's talking to Christians. You are children of God. And then in chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. What a special relationship. So, you're no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. An heir to what? An, an heir to the eternal kingdom. So as a Christian, not only are you created in the image of God, you have been adopted into God's family. 
You, he claims you as his child. Uh, and so your sins are forgiven, taken away as far as the east is from the west, remembered no more. The righteousness of Christ is credited to your account. So you stand righteous before the Lord, even when your own performance is failing. God doesn't look at your failures. He looks at Jesus, and he smiles on you. You're indwelt with his spirit, the spirit that cries, Abba, Father, so that you know uh, I'm loved by God, and a spirit that transforms you throughout a lifetime to be more and more like Jesus. And that spirit will bring you back from the dead in the same way he brought Christ from the dead, and you will spend it forever and ever with God in the new heaven and the new earth. And that's your identity. That's true of you today, tomorrow, and throughout all eternity. So here are the positives. You know, here's the benefit of looking up and receiving your identity from God. What does God say about me? Number one, this, is, this identity is received, not achieved. And that's wonderful news. It's received based on Jesus Christ's finished work, not based on your performance or my performance, which is definitely, you know, erratic and, all, and precarious. And so if our identity is based on our achievements, it's a precarious identity and a, an identity that will inevitably change. But when it's received, it's, it's secure. And that's the next point. It's positive because it's immune to circumstance. It doesn't matter if I'm rich or poor, or what the color of my skin is. It doesn't matter if I'm healthy uh, or sick. It doesn't matter how old I am, and it doesn't matter if I'm living in this world or in the world to come. This is my true identity. And I love how Scripture says, you know, set your minds on things above where the real you is, uh, hidden with Christ in God. And when the real you is revealed, right? Who am I? Who I am is who I am before God. So three takeaways. Takeaway number one. Let God's word shape your core identity and correct all other words. Now it's true that you know, part of my identity is that I'm a father, I'm a pastor, I'm a husband... Uh, I'm a great fisherman, although this weekend, this past week seemed to show that Brother Luke is a greater fisherman, but I'm not sure one trip should influence our identities. <laughs> also, you know, I look in and I say I have certain passions and giftings and uh, experiences, and yeah, th those are part of my identity. That's not my core identity. My core identity is who does God say I am? Who am I in Jesus Christ? Who am I before my creator? So I need that to be my core identity. And I need to let God's word correct all other words because the fact of the matter is there are a whole bunch of words out there trying to shape our identity. And it could have been the word of your parents. It could have been the word of a friend or a classmate or your boss. Uh, it could be in your own head. Uh, in fact, um, in college, I had a professor come to me and, and said, I'm trying to counsel a student. Uh, she's a Christian. I'm not a Christian. And I thought, you might be better equipped to counsel her. I said, sure, I'd love to. 
And so I met with this gal, and her father had been the principal of a Christian high school. She'd grown up you know, at church and in a Christian school. And, and, but she had, when she looked in the mirror, she had this voice in her head that was saying, you're ugly, you're bad. Uh, and then she was living out of that. And I said, oh, well, let's go rehearse what God has said about you. She knew the Bible. And so it's not like I was uh, teaching her anything. She knew it all. And here's a problem. Or, uh, I finally concluded, I can't help you. And I just told her, I said, I can't help you because she would not let the word of God be the loudest voice in her head and her heart. She knew what God said about her, but when she looked in the mirror and heard that voice in her head, that's the one she was listening to. That's the one she was choosing to listen to. And so I finally concluded, I can't help you. And we remained friends. Uh, Sabrina met her years later, uh, but I I never saw her uh, let God shape, God's word shape her core identity. And it was very sad. And, you know, I know that, um, well, we're going to talk in a bit about how, how wonderful it is when your parents are affirming what your Heavenly Father says about you. And not all of us have gotten that. But you know what? You have a Heavenly Father who is speaking your identity. And if you listen to Him, uh, He can reshape your identity for good. Number two, second takeaway. Be who God made you to be. God made you to bear his image in the world. You bear his image. The problem is many people uh, bear it terribly. <laughs> and what God intended is God intended for you to bear his image in such a way that when people interact with you, it's as if they're interacting with God. Same character, same speech, uh, same values. That's, he, he wanted a bunch of... Uh, people reflecting his image accurately throughout the earth. Of course, sin has marred that. And so for many people, they, they're created in the image of God, but they are not reflecting his image correctly. And so if that's you, the Bible tells you what to do. Uh, it says, repent. Repent of your sin and put your faith in God's son, Jesus, and then commit yourself to following his teachings and letting his Holy Spirit transform you so that you begin to bear his image uh, accurately, so that you become who you are truly meant to be. And if, or of course, as Christians, we can also have sinful patterns in our life. Same process. Uh, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then we get back on to the business of reflecting God in our families, in our workplaces, in our friendship circles, in our classrooms, in our neighborhoods. <clears throat> Final takeaway, and here's where we get to parents. Teach your children what God says about them. Obviously, this applies to mothers too. But I'll tell you, when your earthly father affirms what your heavenly father sends about, says about you, it creates an unshakable identity. So I had that in my dad. As a kid, uh, I, I had my heavenly father saying, you're created in the image of God. I loved you enough to die for you. You're, you're worth dying for. 
Your sins are forgiven. I accept you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You have this wonderful uh, future in front of you. You're going to dwell with the Spirit of God. That's what the he- my heavenly Father was telling me through the Word, and that is what my earthly Father was telling me day in and day out. And you combine the heavenly Father's voice with the earthly Father's voice, and what does it do? It creates an, an unshakable uh, identity out of which I got to live. And that is the way God intends it to be. That's the way he designed it to be. Uh, and when it happens, it is powerful and it's beautiful and, and children are blessed. And I know that we haven't all had that. And for those of you who didn't have that, I'm sorry. But you do have a Heavenly Father who is speaking to you and wants to shape your identity. But uh, for those of you who are dads, especially for the young dads, what a, what a role you get to play. And even if you've been blowing it, uh, you can always go to your kid and say, forgive me. Forgive me for uh, signaling to you that your identity is rooted in your performance. That's not what God says, and I'm changing that, and I'm going to speak differently. You can always start today in beginning to form a kid's identity, and your kid is never too old to listen to you and, and be affirmed. So let's bow our head and close our eyes, and, and I want you to be this Soren Kierkegaard quote, the, my true self is myself before God. My true self is myself before God. Interact with God around that statement. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have answered this important question, who am I, in a way that brings health. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.